0: If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7 habits. That's the number 7 habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back everybody, and today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Ben Baker, and he is the owner of of Your Brand Marketing. He has over 25 years of marketing and brand building experience. He's the host of the YourLivingBrand.live show, and he's also the author of Powerful Personal Brands, A Hands-On Guide to Understanding Yours. Welcome to the show, Ben.
1: Thanks a lot, Dennis. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, anytime. I know we met a while ago. We connected on LinkedIn that's how we got to know each other a little bit, believe it or not, kind of at an arm's length. I saw what you were doing and I just thought that you could offer an enormous amount of value in and around this whole concept of branding and the importance. So today we're going to talk about, just to give the audience a little bit of an insight into this, we're going to focus in on why and how it is so important to build your brand, right? And the trust and how to do that and why trust is such a key component to that, right? So you're going to help unpack that for us. But before we do that, just give us, you know, give us a short intro, a minute or two on your story, kind of how you got here. 25 years of experience. You've seen a lot of things happen in 25 years, you know, early internet, you know, major media to where we are today. So fill in the blanks and then we'll, we'll jump right in.
1: Well, I'll, I'll go, you know, as quick as I can on this one, you know, 25 years ago, I was in the high tech business, you know, as you and I talked off air, I was on the road 25 no sorry i was on the road 200 days a year and my wife and i took a look at each other we said this is not happening anymore it's just crazy and so i went up to my boss and i said look you know either double my salary to pay for the divorce or travel days have to be cut in half he says tell you what why don't we buy you out i said perfect so i got a six-month package and part of the package that they gave me is the what do you want to be when you grow up testing so i i went and i sat down with an industrial psychologist And they said, what do you do well? What don't you do well? What do you enjoy? And marketing kept coming up. And I went, "Okay, well, I've never, you know, I've sat on the sales side of things for years. But let's take a look at the marketing side of things. And so I really investigated and talked to it and talked to a few people. And, you know, first of all, got involved in direct mail. And, you know, I killed a lot of trees. From there, we got (laughs) got it. We killed a lot of trees. I'll tell you that much. You know, a half million piece catalog runs, that kind of stuff. We did direct mail for casinos and got 45% response rate on a birthday card mailing. We did a lot of fun things. And from there, it evolved into promotional marketing because promotional marketing was the bumpy mail. You put something in the envelope with the direct mail to be able to make it work. And so over the years, I've done promotional marketing. I've done you know, trade show development. Obviously, we've gotten into social media marketing. But I'm really what you would call medium agnostic. I don't believe that there's any right way or any wrong way to market. There's got to be the right way or the wrong way to market for you. You got to be where your customers are and you have to speak to them in the language that they want to be spoken to. And so that's really what happened. And about 11 years ago, you know, I was working for a company. It, You know, it just it wasn't going as well as it wanted to do. He was talking about shutting the door. I said, well, it's time for me to either buy the company or go out on my own. And I decided to go out on my own. So for the last eleven years, it's been the, your, you know, your brand marketing show. And our customers are, you know, mostly B 2 B. They're mostly mid tier, so ten million dollars and above. And we work with them primarily on brand and communication strategy. Who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? Why do people care? And you know, and what's the value that you add to them? And it's being able to help tell your story. You know in a meaningful way. So you stop being a commodity and you start being a brand worth loving. So it's, you know, that's the 32nd version of my life. And uh, probably that's probably more than anybody really needs to know.
0: (laughs) Perfect. No, that's interesting. I'm glad you framed that for us. That's helpful. So tell me a little bit about, you've had the business for 11 years. I mean, if you can, I don't know if you can share whether it be number of employees or revenue or percentage growth. I mean, how has your business progressed over that 11 year period? I mean, you know, where are you at? In that growth phase?
1: You know what? I mean, we're still growing. I mean, it's, it's the neat thing about the marketing business is it's always evolving. It's always changing. I, you know, when I was with the other company, we had 30 employees. And the thing that I told myself is I didn't want employees. I really didn't want it. As right now it's, it's, it's a consulting agency. You know, I bring on experts as I need them, utilize their talents, pay them as consultants and let them go and bring them on as the next you know, project it, it's a much cleaner way for me to do business. I don't have to have the large office space I don't need to have the multiple desks the phone lines the computers and all the type of things that go with it. my customers rely on me for my expertise and my Rolodex. so you know we're we're in the growth mode you know it you know 2018 was you know was a good year you know it w- wasn't our best year but you know think about it we started in 2007, 2008. Right in the recession. So there can be nothing but growth from there. You know, the first couple of years were pretty scary and you know, as is for any new business, any new entrepreneur, but to start in the middle of recession, you know, it's been steady growth along the way. And that's what I really want. I'm not looking for that 10x, 20x, 30x growth. I'm looking for incremental, steady growth that allows me to take care of my customers year after year.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. So running it as kind of a boutique consulting firm, that's, absolutely. Yeah, totally get that. That makes a lot. Of, that's very much how my LinkedIn and social selling business is. Very same model. So yeah. I can totally appreciate that. So let's get a little bit micro into your business. We're talking about you know you starting your business in the early days. Yeah. When you first got started during that recession, how did you go out and get your first? Let's call it your first. 10 or 20 clients. What strategy, what tactic, what channel did you use in order to start getting traction where, you know, you could start paying the bills and call it a business?
1: Well, I was lucky. When I moved over from the previous company to my own, my customers mostly came with me. I mean, 80 to 90% of my customers came with me. And we're talking, you know, provincial health authorities, we're talking the government of Canada, we're talking, you know, fairly significant companies and and organizations that came with me based on the relationship that we had and the and the brand that I had built for myself. Because even when I was working for somebody else, I built my personal brand. And the brand that I built is on trust. My clients know that I will take care of them, that I will never hide from them. I will never shirk responsibility. If it's wrong, I'll fix it. And there's a lot that have gone along with it. So I was lucky enough to bring over several hundred thousand dollars worth of business with me when I went out on my own, you know, which doesn't happen for most people. But, you know, the clients that I grew from that point forward were mostly referral. And, you know, quite honestly, 11 years later, it is a referral business. I do very little advertising. I do no paid advertising whatsoever. And I look at it as it's the people that I know and the people that trust me that tend to be my best referral sources. And they say, you know what? You should deal with Ben. We really like what Ben does. We really like what he says online. We like the, you know, what we've seen from him or his podcast or whatever. You really should have a conversation with Ben. And those really is a lot how the conversations happen and how my best customers come to me. Perfect. Even today.
0: So so now that your business is a lot more mature, obviously it continues to evolve, but it's a lot more mature. I know referrals are still a big part of that. But if you had to pick one channel or one strategy that gets you more meetings, more opportunities, what would that be?
1: I'd say LinkedIn is probably the number one referral source for online. For online, absolutely. You know, that and I speak at conferences, you know, so there's two different, two different avenues for an online social media. LinkedIn is probably 90% of my effort and 90% of my referral base. It is, you know, it's where you and I met. It's where I've met, you know, some great people in the insure tech business, the fintech business, and where, you know, where I do that. And, you know, a lot of that leads to me being invited to speak, which leads to referrals at conferences. And I, I'm still a firm believer that hand to hand, eye to eye, belly to belly, and handshakes, you know, build trust and build relationships. And I tend to go to as many conferences as I can, you know, I can afford. To be able to spend the time to actually meet people to find out more about them you know and that's how they become clients yeah and, it's you know, a- and, and to my wife's chagrin when we're on vacation you know it's amazing how many clients I've met you know on the beach or by the pool or playing golf or whatever it's personal relationships that really build those you know those client relationships
0: yeah it's hard to replace that face to face it's it's very hard i mean I know social media is trying their best yeah. to not have people engage face-to-face, but it's really hard. So I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you have a mix of both. Obviously, your social as well as the face-to-face and that's probably why your business is doing so well. So now today, we're going to dive into the concept that we talked about before the interview, before we hit yeah. play, record on this, which was trust. If you don't have it, you have no brand. So you're going to unpack unpack this whole concept of building trust, the importance of it. And then um, obviously, you know, it's a fairly short interview. So we're going to, you know, we're going to try to get in as deep as we can. But if you can take that away, and unpack that for us, that would be very
1: helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a slide that I use in most of my presentations and it's usually the, of the first or the second slide. It says, you know, trust, it's hard to get, you know, easy to break and impossible to get back. You know, it's, you know, trust is one of those things that if you don't If people don't trust you, they don't know you. And if they don't know you, they probably won't buy from you over and over and over again. Anybody will try you once. You know, if you're the cheapest person out there, you know, people will take a chance and they'll they'll buy from you. But the problem is they'll buy from you once. And if they don't trust you, if they don't think that you're working in their best interest, if you don't think that, you know, you're the person who can solve their problems, they're not coming back. And that's what it's all about. That's what brands are built on. That's what relationships are built on. That's what business is built on. It's the, you know, it's not selling people once and then never seeing them again. I did that. I sold for Xerox. You you sell somebody a photocopier, you know, at $80,000 or $150,000, you're never going to see them again because they can't afford to buy one from you, you know, for six or eight years. And by that time you're working for somebody else. But, you know, if you're one of these people that are, you know, building relationships with clients and want them to buy from you over and over and over again they need to trust you they need to know that you're going to be the person that can solve their problems and when they call you you're going to take care of them
0: yeah i totally agree and one of the things that i think about when i think about strong brands you know that really have invested big into brands obviously i'm a big apple guy right so i have yeah. i've had every iphone for the last god knows how long probably the last decade and people wait in line right to get oh, the newest episode you know the newest version of the of the iPhone they charge a premium for it like some of the new phones that are coming out are 1100 1200 1300 dollars for a phone and people are paying that so they mm-hmm. built up that trust and obviously that takes time and money and and resources but if you could help us unpack maybe how smaller small to mid-sized companies could start building that trust so that they could try to take a play out of, out of Apple yeah. and some of these other brands' playbooks. How would you go about that? What would, what yeah. would be the steps?
1: The first thing I tell people is there, there really is no hack. There's no easy, simple way of doing it. It's time, it's consistency, and it's effort. It's really taking the time to listen to your customers. First of all, to know who your customers are and who your customers are not. Not everybody's ever going to buy from you, even Apple. You know, I'm a Samsung guy. I will not own Apple products. My wife and my kid love Apple products. Downstairs has Apple products. Upstairs, it's all, you know, it's all PC. You know, so <laughs> true. it's true. It, it, you know, we've separated it out. You know, we've built a relationship and it's okay. They can have their Apple and I have my PC and life is good. But it's understanding that not everybody's going to buy from you. Not even Coca-Cola has 100% market share. Not does Visa, not just Amex, not just MasterCard. There's no company out there that has 100% market share. And the sooner that any company, big or small, realizes that everybody with a pulse is not their customer, the better off they are. And if you can sit there and say, okay, what do I do? What do I really do? What do I do differently than somebody else? Where's my value? What problems do I solve and who do I solve those problems for? Okay, great. Those are the people I'm going to talk to and then do it consistently and better than your competition. If you're the person, it doesn't matter what you do. If you can sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to do this consistently and better and care about my customers and try to understand not only who they are, but who are the people that they're trying to serve and what are the problems that they're trying to solve. You become valuable to these people. And that's how trust is built.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you bring up a really, really good point. Knowing your customer, you know, one of the things you do, I do in consulting for my LinkedIn and social selling businesses. I I'll sit down with a client and we'll talk about who's your target market, and they're always way too wide, right? They yeah. they think they think everybody with a pulse, anybody who can fog a mirror, anybody that sells a service. I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, how wide they are. So I totally get that point, and I think getting closer to the client, right? Getting closer to them, and what you mentioned was understanding their audience understanding who yeah. they're trying to influence understand who they're trying to sell to is a critical piece and I think that can only be done a lot of times that can be you can do that with surveys and you can do that with certain online tools but I think the best way to do that is to really have just have really meaningful conversations whether that be on the phone or face to face or at these conferences or or however it takes place I mean that is a critical step and I think a lot of entrepreneurs especially smaller businesses miss that step because they fall in love with their idea and they think that everybody's going to love it. But in reality, it might only serve a small niche and that's okay. It's okay if it only serves that small niche because if they get great value, if they get great results, you've got a product, you've got a service, you've, you've got a business at that point and you can always expand on it from there.
1: Look at Lamborghini. I mean, how many cars does Lamborghini sell a year? Not that many compared to a Ford, you know, F-150. But you know what? They have built, a, you know, they built a loyal following that are people that want to have the latest, the greatest, the newest, and they're willing to spend, you know, five, six, eight hundred thousand $800,000, a million, $2 million on a vehicle, you know, that is for them, it, it's a passion and a love, you know, and you don't need to sell a lot of cars at a million plus a piece to have a very good year.
0: Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> No doubt. And that's a, that's a great example of that's someone who's serving a very small niche, but they fill a need and they've had an amazing business and, you know, nobody's going to argue, you know, the, the brand equity in Lamborghini, right? So,
1: Absolutely.
0: so you mentioned another really important piece, which is consistency, right? This is yeah. where I think a lot of people struggle. You know, you, you said there's no hack for brand building and you, I couldn't agree more, you know, the problem with brand building is it's not sexy. It's not something that yeah. you're going to get a return or an ROI in a week or a month or even a few months. I mean, it takes time year. and consistency. Right. Exactly. And it, and not only consistency and effort, but consistency in the delivery of your message. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's where companies and, and people like you come in because as entrepreneurs, we're half headed, you know, we are, I mean, we all have ADD and we're going in a million different directions and we've got the shiny object syndrome and i think if people can one of the things that i see with people that are in marketing is they have a tendency to be too much of a consumer they consume more than they create so they need to focus in on creating that those messages and creating that content with a long-term vision as opposed to you know the hack of the day or the the strategy of the day or the flavor of the month
1: yeah and you know it's interesting i used to do a lot of retail you know, brand and marketing. And I got out of it because it was squirrel. You know, What was great today was horrible tomorrow. And you just get to a point where everybody's chasing everybody else and nobody was leading the pack. Nobody was taking the time to sit there and say, okay, how do I define myself? Everybody's trying to define themselves against their competition instead of being the one that's leading the pack and letting everybody else chase you. And that's what I really like about the B2B world is that it moves a little bit slower and it's a lot more deliberate. If you're a big brand, you're a small brand, I don't care who you are, you need to have a strategy. You need to sit there and say, okay, these are the messages that I want to talk about in 2019. These are the three messages I want to talk about, A, B, and C, and no more. That's it. We have three messages, no more. And and what it allows you to do is focus on that and sit there and say, okay, whether it be our social media, whether it be a conferences, whether it be our website, whether it be, you know, anytime that we're out talking to customers, this is what we're talking about. This is what we do. This is why we do it. And this is why we're better. And this is how we solve your problems doing A, B and C. You know, I look at people's social media and they've got 50 different pictures out there for the headers, have one header picture, have one You know, have one catchphrase, have one set of images, have one set of taglines that you put across social media. So it doesn't matter if you're on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, people know it's you. And the message below it has to be consistent. The stuff that you talk about has to be consistent. You know, I don't talk about politics online. I don't talk about race and religion online. I talk about branding and marketing, and I talk about branding and marketing strategy. And that's it. That's all I talk about, you know, and if you do that, you get to be known for that. And that's how you build your brand.
0: No, that's perfect. And that goes for personal brands as well as corporate brands, right? I mean, that's not, they're not separate. I mean, there's the, the key to that is that works on both sides. It just has a tendency with personal brands where they get a little bit more squirrel. But like you said, even retail brands, big brands can, can be chasing their tail sometimes. So
1: yes, they can.
0: So let me ask you this pivoting away from the whole branding component. You know, you're an entrepreneur for a long time now. You you know, you went through the recession, you've seen the ups and downs. If you could start all over again, right? If you could go back in time and start all over again, what would be one thing you would do different as an entrepreneur to get further faster?
1: I think that I would go be way before I became an entrepreneur. I think that everybody when they're young should work for a major corporation. And I'm talking a worldwide corporation. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. People should work for large companies for two different reasons. One, they get to understand the internal workings of the politics of the companies. And they and number two is they're they're exposed to way more different things than you are when you're working for small business. And I think that when you take that experience and then you bring it into your entrepreneurial world, it makes you better at what you do. First of all, it gives you some credo and some uh, credence to say, look. I worked for IBM. I worked for Google. I worked for Yahoo. I worked for whoever. And it gives, you know, when you're going out there and you're doing consulting or building an entrepreneurial brand, it gives you some gravitas when you're walking in the door. And it also gives you that experience of seeing things that you never would have seen if you started off working for a small company. When you become an entrepreneur, the one thing I would tell people to do is, you know what? build your brand consistently slowly and with purpose say this is what i really want to do and this is the direction that i want to go and build five year plans to get out there rome was not built in a day nobody became a billionaire or a you know or a unicorn overnight any company that says that they were an overnight success probably took 10 years totally you know, agree take the time and build the strategy and understand what you're purposely trying to do and then build the process in order to get there because if you don't you're part of the 70% or 75% of businesses today that fail within the first 5 years you know you want to be that you want to be in that 20 to 25 to 30% market that actually can sit there and celebrate your 10 15 20 25 years 50 years in business and the only way you can do that is to constantly be thinking 5 years ahead and say, what are the things that are going to trip me up that I can see out there in the in the future that I can do things now to be able to make sure that I mitigate those problems?
0: Love it. Well, listen, the next couple of questions, let's do uh, rapid fire here and we'll wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using to grow your business? If you had to pick one, what would be your favorite tool?
1: My favorite tool actually is Dropbox because it allows me to be everywhere. You know, Love it. It, you're not tied to the office, you know, you can be anywhere and, and have access to everything. Perfect. And what would be
0: one book other than yours uh, that you would recommend to the audience, you know, that you've read maybe in the last year or just a great book that you think the audience would benefit from?
1: There's a book, actually, somebody that you've, you probably have never heard. Uh, her name is Amy Wanninger, uh, W-A-N-I-N-G-E-R. W-A-N-I-N-G-E-R and it's called Network Beyond Bias. And it is, it's is—it's interesting because it, it's networking of realizing that we're not all white 49-year-old males out there. And there's a lot of people that you should be connecting with that are of a diverse marketplace and be able to widen, first of all, your viewpoint and also your connection base. And I think that she's done a really nice job with that.
0: Perfect. Well, listen, we'll make sure that we have all those links in the show notes, but for now, let everybody know how they can connect with you, maybe get your book, learn a little bit more about your business, and then we'll wrap it up for today.
1: Yeah. I mean, the best way to get in touch with me is always through yourbrandmarketing.com. You can access my book through there. There's a couple of my eBooks there that you can download. My brand new mastermind is starting up on January 31st, and there is information on that. And also how to get in touch with me in terms of doing workshops, consulting, keynotes. All that information is sitting right on my website. So that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me You know, on social media. It's your brand marketing. Perfect. So take a look at everything and you'll definitely find me there.
0: Awesome. Well, well, Again, we'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. And Ben, I really appreciate you being here today. Have an awesome day and I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
1: Dennis, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Ben. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.